Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org Hardcore Podcast coming away. Episode 153, Dennis James. Very interesting character, guys. We're going to get into his life, about him being an ambassador, about him living and uh, speaking three different languages, his travels, and we're going to, of course, get into his steroid cycle toward the end of the podcast as well. So it's going to be a fun one. Steve Smee here in the Mobster. What's up, buddy? Morning, morning, morning. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy. I like him. I think we're going to have a bit of fun with this. And he comes across really well. And all the people that he works with bodybuilding wise, he seems to think he's a good guy. So it should be fun on that basis. It doesn't have to be a bad guy to be popular. Yeah, definitely. And um, probably because he's been all over the world, he has a you know very wholesome view of things. So professional bodybuilder, he's accomplished a lot in his career. And he's still active in bodybuilding circles. He likes to be a commentator. He's he reminds me of an athlete, like a football player or basketball player, who goes on to be like on the pre-shows or on the, the shows on ESPN or whatever, and giving commentary about about sports afterwards instead of just disappearing. So he's stuck in in it, and that's kind of cool because you need that. You can't just have a bunch of nerds, you know, commentating about bodybuilding you've got to have actual people who have been there and done that as well it's got to be a good mixture so he has spoken about steroid use he's not afraid to speak his mind on today's bodybuilding and we're going to get into this guys uh first off with him i mentioned his international history born in germany um in 1966 american father who was stationed in germany who was in the military and his mother was German. So I will make the assumption that while his father was in Germany stationed and working, he met his wife there. And that happens a lot. And those of you who are in the military who are listening to this podcast know exactly what I'm talking about, or those of you who are military brats know exactly what I'm talking about. So he was able to obviously learn German, being from Germany. And he also as a teenager, got really serious about bodybuilding at just 18 years old. So we'll get into his competitions a bit, but Mobster, tell us a little bit about his Thailand. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I'm old enough and experienced enough to have seen some of the earlier videos that uh, Dennis had done. I'm thinking Battle for the Olympia specifically, and there's a couple of others that, that you guys can watch with regards to his training and his lifestyle. The, the thing about 15 or 20 years ago when he was still competing was that you'd see these videos in Thailand. And in fact, one of the things that fascinated me at the time was that he paid some young lad, I believe it was the equivalent of $100. It may be less. And all this fellow had to do was load and unload the weights of his machines. As a guy that likes to pile the shit on his equipment, <laughs> the idea that someone else can do that work for you is like, yeah, that's brilliant. You've also, as, as, as Steve will know, um, and, and we see this occasionally on the forums for the guys that go to Thailand and it's not just about Thai boys and uh, those kind of weird bars etc you do have access if you know people uh, almost with zero difficulty unless you're an idiot 
to decent over-the-counter steroids in certain places out there. So there's an attraction there. It's also cheap to live. It's a warm country. And if you get on with the people, they're very, very welcoming. So there's a certain fascination there as well. What also came at that time, and we'll get into this more in a minute, is that you would see these photographs before he come to the States, like 10, 15 days before the big competition. And of course, the big competition would be the Olympia, where he would look like a man that should be winning the Mystery Olympia, whether it was the Thai Sunshine, whether it was the Goonlight, as is described by uh, Nick from Parent Strength. But normally these photographs were outside and he would look like an absolute monster, Stevie. Seriously, you go, why is this guy not winning? Maybe it was just being pumped from the gym and whatever else. Of course, what's happened from there, and, and we'll get into a little bit of that and when we talk about nutrition, is he met and, and married a Thai, a Thai woman and they've been together, I'm going to guess, Steve, at least 20 plus years. So again, unusual in that he's had a very long-term healthy relationship uh, that's lasted until now. And in fact, when we talk about nutrition, she's been quite good on the bodybuilding side. And, and I'm going to be more specific on that when we get to that. Back to you. Yeah, so we can get into his early competition, his first major competitions, the NABBA Mystery Universe. Finished fourth in 1993, second in 94, and first in 95 in his division. So that's kind of cool that he progressively improved year after year. Three years to go from fourth to first, that's patience. You know, that's, you can tell that's before the internet age. Now you want to go from fourth to first in the same year, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's the patience that guys had in those days. He was not done. 97, he got fourth at the NPC Nationals heavyweight division, really, really hard competition. And then a year later, he won the NPC USA championships, which was also extremely hard competition. He's going against some of the best in the world on that, on those. So as big competitions came in the 2000s, Lobster, IFBB Arnold Classic Grand Prix across Europe and the Ironman yeah. Pros, top five and many of them. Uh, just jump here, Steve. For you guys that don't know, the Grand Prix don't take place anymore, which is a great shame. But essentially, it's back-to-back -back series of competitions, sometimes six, and I believe as many as 10 competitions. And that's one per weekend for 10 weeks in a row. If you don't make your name or learn about staying in shape during those six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 weeks as an athlete. And we're talking about Kevin Levrone, Ronnie Coleman and others all doing this kind of stuff. It's incredibly hard. You need to have your shit on point. If he doesn't make it from there, which of course we know that he does, then, then, then he's never going to make it, Steve. So this is hard competing. And when you're talking about several competitions a year, when we weren't talking about qualifying, just competing for the sake of competing and getting some prize money. But the Grand Prix was a grind. You, you could arrive at four o'clock in the morning, you're on stage at 11, and then you're back on the airplane sometimes the same damn day. It was hard, hard work, guys. So yeah, this is proper, this is competing, like I said, every weekend for up to 10 weeks in a row. <laughs> Believe you and me, I, I know guys that have done that in Strongman and they're talking about bloodshot eyes and, and muscle strains. I've never done it. The closest I've done it is two in 16 weeks. And I hated that. So, yeah, this is hard work, Steve. Definitely making his name, getting himself out there, but learning how to stay in shape continuously and peaking and being able to pass on as he does now that knowledge. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that, that's a school right there, Steve, of learning when it comes to this kind of thing. So as Mr. Olympia finishes 11th in 2000, 7th in 2001, 10th in 2002, 4th in 03, 8th in 04, 6th in 05, 9th in 06, 
14th in 09 and 11th in 2010. So that was quite a run in the 2000s. Yeah. And it was legendary because he was at a high level into his mid to late 40s. And before his last Mr. Olympia in 2010, he has said he had lied about his age in the past. So, Mobster, I may ask you this question. Why in the world would he lie about his age? I don't understand the motive behind that. I can understand lying about your age to buy alcohol or to gamble or something like that. But why lie about your age in his situation? Do you have any clue? My girlfriend sometimes accused me of being narcissistic, us lifting weights and doing things to look a certain way and whatever else. It's interesting from an outside perspective, being a bodybuilder is, I suppose, kind of either incredibly high level of narcissism or, or, or insecurity in some ways. And, you know, whether it's an egotistical thing, or, you know, I want to be the strongest man in the world. Why do you want to be the strongest man in the world? That kind of vibe, right? So I guess it's one of those, if people thought I was 40, would they invite me to do seminars? If they thought I was an old man, it's kind of weird, Steve. I don't know whether it's a professional thing, a narcissistic thing, or whatever else. It's just one of those. I mean, some, in some perverse ways now, the guys go in the other direction. I, think, I can think of some fantastic photographs, recent pictures of an amazing-looking uh, Robbie Robinson. I mean, I believe. I mean, look, I, I posted on Facebook the other day that a still decent-looking uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger had his 74th birthday. So you go from not wanting people to think you're that old, which is kind of crazy, crazy in and of itself. Maybe you should be in the Masters. To, to being fantastic looking at 60 and 70 years of age. So I can only think of it being some sort of sort of kind of insecurity, Steve, you know, um, maybe if, or if people knew how old he was, it would have affected his business, seminars and, and, and guest posing and stuff like that. I don't see why, maybe just the people that he thought was out there putting on his shows, the promoters or whatever else, kind of, like, oh, we only want the young guys, we only want the guys that are gonna come in, coming up, that kind of bizarre, maybe way of thinking, or even as you say, just a purely sort of egotistical thing. Uh, let people think I'm 10 years younger than I am. I go the other direction, Steve. I would say, listen, I'm still doing, moving big, heavy shit when I'm in my mid-50s, you know what I mean? So what the hell? What, what, why is it a problem? That comes down to, as I say, narcissism, insecurity, or business. Pick. Pick one and, and go with whatever your point of view is, you know what I mean? I don't know. You'd have to ask, Dennis. Yeah. So it's a weird one. So his stats, guys, five foot eight. 265 pounds and during the offseason close to 300 pounds so he's a big boy for sure you definitely can see his pictures um when you if you search for him or you check out his social media so let's get let me get into the nutrition real quick and I'll, I'll bring you in mobster and you can talk about that and talk about his training so he keeps his nutrition simple and when you have genetics like him that's a smart idea he sticks to you know, bodybuilding foods, guys, you know, chicken, steak, carbs from potatoes and rice, veggies, green veggies. It's really not a complicated, you know, um, when you eat like that, you, these are foods that don't, uh, you know, upset your stomach. You can go train your balls off in the gym. You can have, you can eat, a, uh, eat this two hours before your workout. Then when you finish your workout, you can have another meal. They're not going to affect you negatively. They're not going to make you tired. You're going to have energy. So these are, these are the foods these guys eat, guys. Um, it's not really that complicated, his nutrition. It doesn't have to be when you have those genetics and when you're training your balls off and when you're using steroids and all that good stuff. So go ahead, Bonner, sir. Right. So one thing I was going to say just, just on, on, on what we before nutrition was he's still a big guy. 
still, I believe, when he's doing the podcast that he does now, he's still 250 pounds at that height. So he still looks like he's a guy that's working out and keeps in good shape or whatever else. And uh, whether that's just because he loves training or because it's good. And, you know, when you're emceeing at the Olympia, when you're dealing with guys like Big Remy, et cetera, you get maybe a certain level of respect by being in shape at your age, doing your shit. On the nutrition, Steve and I talked about this on the pre-show, and it's something that probably not many people have seen, and it was a little part of a video of his some years ago. Uh, it's not on the stuff that you would go on looking for. No, you have to go way, way back. So I mentioned earlier on he married and has been married for a long time to a Thai lady, and one of the videos had her in the kitchen, and Dennis is encouraging her to talk about what she does to keep this food. Now, as Steve said, and we've talked about this on podcasts before, it, it sometimes seems oversimplistic, and it kind of is because we're lazy and we want things done a certain way. So when we say the guys are eating rice or they're having certain kinds of eggs or they're having chicken breast with the skin taken off, that's what you do, and it's what gets you into shape. Bodybuilders have a uh, understanding of nutrition that other athletes benefit from, and we really, really use it as a tool. But what can quite often happen is it can end up being incredibly bland. And what Dennis's wife showed was that by she was making her own spices. There was a mortar and pestle there. There was stuff that she was taking off the shelf. She'd gone to Thai uh, uh, grocers and brought these things as stuff imported and whatever else. And she literally showed you how you can take the blandest, most boring food and spice the fuck out of it, season it, use low salt, use these herbs, use these spices and create something that made you want to eat it. And in fact, the video I'm thinking of, I think it's like a 20, 30 minute video. You literally got Dennis sitting down, having five or six of these meals. And I think they're kind of almost the same, but they look different, they smell different and they're appetizing. So that for me was a fascinating element. And we talk about this occasion on forums. I say, guys, you know, if you're gonna to have to have chicken breast, then have chicken breast, but do free trays. Do seven or eight chicken breasts on each tray and season them differently. Then wrap two together, freeze them, chill them, do whatever you've got to do. Prep your rice, season the rice, put some herbs in there, put something that's got no extra calories that you're really still on the, in control of what's going in and the nutrition that you want. But have this variation. It doesn't have to be two baked chicken breasts with nothing on nothing whatsoever and 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 and, and be dead i'm thinking of ronnie common with his you know the masterpiece sauce stuff and all the rest of it ronnie was of course a freak of freaks but even without that you're still talking about dennis showing you that as bland as bodybuilding food can be it can be flavorsome it doesn't have to be boring and his wife did a great job and i said they've been together for 20 years maybe it's just a food steve maybe she keeps him happy in the kitchen so yeah there you go i mean guys Learn from this. This is what we sometimes do with these podcasts. It's not just about stories and training. There are little things you can pick up. And this is one of those things where, guys, you can learn how to make your food interesting. If you can find this video, have a good route around on the internet, check it out. There's guys of you out there I know on, on, on some of the forums that we're involved with where you're not eating vegetables. So you can do stir fry with like a teaspoon or, or two teaspoons full of fat. You can air dry and you can still use these herbs and spices and seasoning, Steve. You, you, you know some of this from your own nutritional stuff, for sure. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, listen, fruits, fruits and vegetables, guys, especially vegetables. I mean, those of you who aren't eating them, um, it's not good. I mean, these vegetables contain things in them 
that yeah. kill cancer in the body that are antioxidants, vitamins and minerals, very, very important to get plenty of vegetables and, and fruit as well. Fruit is very hydrating. Fruit's one of the best things you can eat. Be, yep. Doesn't have to be boring, guys. You can spice it up. It's that this stuff is real, real simple. I think sometimes you guys think it's complicated, it's hard to learn. There are a million videos on YouTube. You can check out the one I'm on about. It's very, very simple. Honestly, I, you and I could have the same food in our freezer, Steve, but we could have whole trays of seasonings, herbs, and sauces, and whatever else that yep. we've made ourselves to make it really interesting, real tasty, real, and it's still as nutritious as we need it. Yeah. So get into the training. I'm curious to hear um, about his training, Mobster. I guess I've come in from, from um, two perspectives. One uh, is his own training back in the day. And the second is that, which I believe is stuff that he's done in the last year or two. And I think it's specifically a big Ramy again. So, guys, in terms of his training, there's stuff out there where you've got, again, his Battle for the Olympia videos. And you can see him doing something which I found interesting. I'm going to use legs right here, Steve. So there's a whole time under the tension principle that we would we, refer to in the article, which will be associated with this podcast. And of course, essentially, guys, that means the muscle doesn't get a break, right? So there's no pausing at the top and the bottom. It's as, as, as continuous a kind of movement as possible. Now, on the, the particular video that I'm thinking of, I was watching him training legs and he split quads and hams. So he was able to focus on them 100%. And again, this is pre-competition stuff here. Yeah? And one of the things he was doing was lunges between the leg presses. So the guys were loading and unloading the machine. He would get off, take a plate or a couple of small dumbbells and really get down deep. And the idea, this is probably, I'm thinking, Steve, before we saw Ronnie and a few of the other guys doing the lunges. So he was doing this before those guys. And he's looking to bring out detail. He's looking to bring out separation in his quads. And, and, and especially that kind of stuff. There was no, I can't think of any real crazy weights so we're not talking like four plate presses, uh, you know, 1,500 pound leg presses or whatever else, but it was continuous. It was getting the most from the movement. Something that I did notice, and this actually ties in with the training with big Rami stuff, is a combination of giant sets uh, as a means of depletion, which we'll get into when we talk about growth form and insulin later on. I believe this stuff started to come around at the same time. I mean, this giant sets have been around for years, of course, but the athletes were using this as a part of the insulin protocol that was being developed by guys like Dave Palumbo and uh, Milos and others that they, Dave and Palumbo got their ideas from. And of course, they took it and ran with it. So what you're looking at, guys, is you do giant sets or essentially tricep is three exercises. Anything more is a giant set. That's four, <coughs> excuse me, or more exercises, one after another. Literally, if, for example, legs are going to be leg press, leg extension, leg curls, bang, 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 you walk straight to the next machine, it's ready, your mate helps you, and you do this one after another, and it's at least four movements. Now, I know that Milos was doing this with Hitutari and a few others, where he would deplete them and then give them uh, that magic apple sauce that we've mentioned in the previous podcast, but it was also part of the insulin protocol, so there's stuff there, but it's also, if you just take it from a purely training point of view, you are, again, time under attention, you are not giving the muscle a break, it's real... And it's on another level. If you've ever done supersets, fine. If you've done a tri-set, three exercise, you're on another level. John says it's something else entirely. So, yeah. And what we saw this year or the last 12 months was there's a couple of small videos, 10, 15 minutes long, where he's training Rami. And, of course, this is the Rami that won the Mr. Olympia. 
And I believe the one that sticks in my mind was a tricep workout. And he's pushing around me around the gym because of the whole COVID thing. For some reason, the mirrors are covered up with plastic sheeting. I've no idea why. There's only two or three people in there, including Rabbi and Dennis. And Rami's actually kind of like, I won't say begging for mercy, Steve, but he's certainly uh, very uncomfortable. And that's a nice way of putting it, where he's literally says, right, you know, I said 15, I meant 20 reps. I said two sets, I meant four sets and all that kind of stuff. So he's not giving Rami a chance to let off. And I suspect there was an element maybe of Rami's reputation and maybe what the coaches were doing with him over in Dubai and in Kuwait. And Dennis is kind of like, listen, I'm not your friend when it comes to the gym stuff. I'm just going to grind you and deplete the fuck out of you. I'm going to take all that water off you. I'm going to take the last bit of glycogen out of you. And lo and behold, of course, as we saw in Mr. Olympia, whatever the fuck he was doing worked. He was posing him hard. He was training him hard. So all that stuff that he'd learned for himself, all the things that he's learned from other people's protocols, he put on himself and he looked monstrous, as I say, pre-Olympia many, many times not able to bring that to stage, but he brought it to stage when he worked in those last, I believe it was 21 days, I think, Steve, with Big Rami. And whatever he was able to apply for himself, he put on Rami and produced a Mr. Olympia, working with other people, other gurus involved. But here we had, we had a world-class, tapered physique that actually brought what Rami had always been capable of to the stage. So if he wasn't able to make himself into Mr. Olympia, he was able to make Rami into Mr. Olympia by doing the same kind of training. And back in the day, he was an absolute monster, he was an absolute beast. He looked like a Mr. Olympia pre-competition. So whatever worked for him, definitely worked for Rami. And he was able to apply that in such a way that we got to see the best Rami we've seen. And I believe, Steve, I just saw something this morning, I think it's power strength again. Rami's put up with photographs on the last couple of days. I think he's on another level again and is working with Dennis. In fact, you see, there's some back and forth between Dennis and Rami in a little bit of video that they've released saying, you know, those photographs from a couple of days ago are from a couple of days ago, guys. This is how he looks now and kind of laughing and having a back and forth. Rami gets on real well. And, and, and I think there's a lot of affection between the two of them because they just get on well and they bring out the best in each other. Yeah, back to you. Yeah, so let's get into... We'll get into steroid use in a little bit, but first we got to mention his social media. He's got 1.2 million followers. That's a lot. And when you have that many followers, mobster, guess what? You get to monetize it. And he definitely (laughs) does. So he promotes his clothing line, which is called Gorilla Wear. He has a supplement line. He posts a lot of pictures and he does a lot of interviews and podcasts. um, And that allows him to kind of build a big social media profile. On, on the, uh, sorry, just to jump in here, there's something I've mentioned earlier on, guys. So he's been, he's only got about 20-something videos, which he's been doing via Muscle and Fitness, but they're all really, really well done, very professional setup right from the beginning, and he seems to be able to bring out some great snippets of information that other podcasts and interviewers have missed out on for whatever reason. I think Steve said this right at the beginning, because he's traveled and he's seen the world and he's had a lot of life experience that way because of his upbringing, his background and everything else. And because of course he's been on the Mystery Olympia stage, he's emceed, et cetera, et cetera. All of that, for whatever reason, makes it seems to make him a really, really good interviewer. So he's only got 57,000 followers on the, um, uh, the stuff that he's been doing, the Dennis, Dennis the Many podcast. 
But I think it's going to turn into something absolutely great. And every single video that he's had on there, the few that I've watched, and I've not watched them all, have been really, really good. So for whatever reason, pro bodybuilder, MC, worldwide, lots of, lots of worldwide experience that Steve talked about, making him a very well-rounded guy. And it makes him a great interviewer. His most recent one I looked at this weekend was an hour and 20 minutes, I believe, something like that with uh, Flex Lewis. And at some point, there was, I mean, there's, there's just bunch, a bunch of stuff. I might be mistaken, uh, Flex, but there's a bunch of stuff on there where he's able to bring out that emotion. He's able to bring out the background. He gets the guys to talk about their upbringing and whatever else. And 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 they put a lot more on the table, so we say. Uh, I think in Peter McGough writing for bodybuilding magazines before he passed away recently, some people just are able to get that side of the story out. So he's very, very good on that particular stuff. And as I see, said, it includes, as we're about to touch upon, the whole PEDs. It includes the drug stuff. Guys are, maybe when they're coming towards the end of the career, they're not afraid to start talking about what they've done back in the day. And it especially helps if they've retired from the stage and they will talk to Dennis about what they do. And Dennis will even, of course, because he's retired from the stage, he'll mention what he does done, done back in the day and so on and so forth. So we'll get into that next thing. We've talked in the past about, you know, what happens to these bodybuilders. He had a really good run, you know, uh, a 10-year run, which was incredible. Even though he didn't win Mr. Olympia, he won other competitions, and he had really good showings at Mr. Olympia, guys. I mean, really, Mr. Olympia, if you finish in the top 20 and you get your name up there, that's that's an accomplishment. That's a hell of a accomplishment. That means you're a top 20 bodybuilder in the world, in my view. So. Yeah. Definitely in his era, he was a top 10 bodybuilder, even maybe top five in the, in the, in the 2000s, at his peak. So, and he's still active. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. He isn't afraid to share them. I like how he came out and he defended Phil Heath because he says he gets too much hate among his peers, which he doesn't understand. And he thinks it's due to Phil's personality. And his view is, look, you're – you don't have to like someone's personality to still respect them. And I'm, I'm like that too. Like, just because I might not like someone's personality doesn't mean like, I'm not going to respect you. Like it's in the high of a beholder. Like there's people that say they don't like my personality. I've had people say, say that before, because I like to joke around a lot. I have a sense of humor and they get offended by it. And um, you know, we do jokes on this podcast. Sometimes uh, <laughs> it goes over your head sometimes, but like some people, they get, they get, you know, a small amount of people, I'd say they get offended by that, but when most people know, <laughs> even on the forums too, but most people know I like the people who know me, they like that. They know I like to fuck around and it's all in fun. <laughs> so, you know, and it, I like that. I like that view as well. Another opinion he had recently about was about hotties placing at last year's Olympia. He said he should have won second. And there's a reason for that. It's because hottie had a real bad situation because of his traveling issues so he had to show up late he didn't get the prep and he finished in fourth place behind heath and curry but james said he made a really good point he's like look on saturday because they do the judging right yeah, and he said on saturday hottie looked better than both of them blew them away so hottie should have got second place so that's interesting because someone who doesn't follow bodybuilding may not understand the way the judging works and it's not like a soccer game or a football game where you go on the field and you play and whoever wins, wins. No, bodybuilding is different. You may not look your best 
on Thursday, but on Saturday, you blow the competition away. And maybe on Thursday, you were a little bit, a little bit worse than those two other guys. So that's interesting too. I thought that was kind of a cool little tidbit. So, and then one more thing, and then um, I'll let you um, give your opinion on him as well. He says that steroids, he believes, is the health concerns are overblown. He doesn't think steroids are the direct reason for bodybuilders dropping that's so young. So that's interesting. And it's a little bit, you know, um, he takes a very apathetic approach to blame steroids for, for bodybuilders' deaths. And he feels that animal steroids aren't the major cause. So that's something yeah. that is definitely the debatable but look i respect his opinion on that my view is look i mean the blood work don't lie i mean when your liver values and kidney values and your heart health and your cholesterol levels are out of whack for years and years straight that's gonna hammer away at your body guys it's gonna make your body sick so steroids do it's you know i maybe he's saying that being a huge bodybuilder is more to blame than being a steroid user. Maybe that's what he's trying to say. And that's kind of true, but you wouldn't be 5'8 and 300 pounds if not for the steroids. So yeah. you have to kind of, it's it's like what came first, a chicken or an egg. So that's an interesting little commentary. I, if we had more time, I think we'd get into it, but comment on that, Mops. I know you, you want to comment on I'm it. Just, I'm just thinking a couple of things. I said that one of the things that you've advised from day one when I joined the forum and become a moderator. One of the things you talked about from day one, Steve, is getting the blood work done. And something you and I have hinted at before, I believe both of us have made comments like this. Now, it's not as easy for me to get blood work over here in the UK as it is in the States, especially if you can cough up, the, you know, $78, $150, whatever it costs. And guys, if you can complain about buying a cycle that costs you $1,000, but you'll bitch about spending $100, $150 for getting your blood test. So here's what I think, Steve. It's a combination of factors. One, we know the doses, in our opinion, have got out of hand. They've kind of gone crazy. And so even when we talk about what we think Dennis has done, it, again, it's one of those cycles where it's not mental in terms of how crazy that cycle's been. And if there's guys out there, as Steve's touched on earlier, who are in a great rush, you're literally, as Steve said, trying to go from fourth place to third place to second place to first place, took Dennis three to four years, whereas guys can't, Oh, I'm not going to be professional bodybuilder if I can't do this in a year. And they're doing it by running crazy cycles. I also suspect, that's the blood test, they're doing it by ignoring their blood test, by not taking a safer approach, et cetera. And this is something we, we talk about again on the forum. Steve and I have been doing this stuff, lifting ourselves, training ourselves, and when it's appropriate, using performance-enhancing drugs ourselves for a very long time. And stating the bleeding obvious, we're not fucking dead. We haven't got kidney issues. We haven't got liver issues. We're not, I'm not tearing muscles every five minutes. And I'm not doing any of those things because I've taken a safe, sensible approach. So Dennis has been a big guy for a long time, right? But in his time, he's seen guys come and go. He knows guys that have had issues with diuretics and died. He knows guys that have had issues with kidneys and died. Right. So I suspect he's kind of half hinting, perhaps might be one of those things. It'd be nice for him to come right out and say, listen, guys, if you're in too much of a fucking rush and you get like to 300 pounds in two years instead of taking 10 years, if you want, as we see on the forums all the time, 30 pounds on this cycle, 
And Steve and I shake our heads when you see that kind of stuff. If you decide to ignore your liver and your kidney values and your complaints. And then what also happens, Steve, of course, is that we focus on a very narrow thing. We only hear about the drug or we only hear about the training. What we don't hear, of course, is about the genetic side. If mum and dad have got issues, you're probably going to have an issue. And if you're trying to be a professional bodybuilder and you ignore the fact that your dad's got a kidney complaint or your mum's got a liver complaint, then, then you're fooling yourself. You shouldn't do that kind of stuff. So there's an element there. But I suspect most of it's coming down to, Steve, a simple lack of patience. That These guys are in too much of a rush. They get too big, too quick, and they're more prepared to risk things that Dennis wasn't, that the guys Dennis works with are not. You know, it's that kind of attitude. And maybe that's what he needs to have a hint at. We can think of, and I can think of one right now, but I'm not going to name on this podcast, a specific athlete or two, and we have touched on in, in podcasts previously, guys that have absolutely blown up. We've talked about 400-pound Greg Kovacs. We've talked about Dallas McCarver. These are the guys that were absolutely huge or got huge real quick by absolutely pushing their luck as possibly far as it can go and maybe that's what dennis is referring to as well you got the so guys again too much too soon on the performance arts and drugs staying on never giving your body a break ignoring your blood not getting blood tests done all of those things that's what i think probably dennis is having having a, a, a talk about he's not really getting hold of guys at that start because he's not really working with guys at the beginning so Maybe he sees these things of some of these guys out and he thinks, I know this guy's only going to be on, on the stage for two years. I know this guy's going to have medical issues. I know that this is what they're doing. And, you know, you don't hear stories about BNP and Dennis. You don't hear stories about recreationals. I don't think there's any rumours I can think of that has, and again, this is something that very rarely gets mentioned. Guys talk about performance enhancing drugs and training and nutrition, but we don't know what else they're doing. Guys come on the forum that talk about drinking. Guys come on the forum talking about other drugs. Guys come on the forum talking about drugs they need just to concentrate. And again, this is the stuff that makes Steve Spree and I shake our heads. We go, why, why do you need drug just to concentrate? Why do you need to go out and have eight or nine bottles of beer at the weekend in a couple of hours with your buddies and go out and do some shots and then ask us how you can be a great bodybuilder? You can't do that stuff on a regular basis, as you know, Steve, and, 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 and be a great athlete. That's not how great athletes get made it's just not you don't hear these stories about such and such you might hear one in a hundred athletes that's able to go and have a beer and then do throw a throw a ball or play a good game the following day bodybuilders can't do this stuff on a regular basis and again he will know the ugly stuff about people and he will be aware of the rumors that he gets to talk to these guys and have the stuff that they're told tell him in secret so he'll know that's what's going on and he'll think to himself guys take my approach take a 20 year 30 year approach to my career 250 pounds in my 50s doing great shit still looking amazing still married after 30 years still eating healthily and, and, and as I said when we get into PEDs now Steve nothing crazy nothing stupid just stuff that made him an absolute beast so let's get into you know, let's continue to steroid the talk buddy let's get into what he could have ran during the 2000s like you said earlier even today in his 50s, he's still a huge guy. I mean, for sure. But during the 2000s, he had an incredible run. And that yeah. was the time where steroids started becoming chemical warfare. Like guys were mm -hmm. like, man, I got to chase. I got to chase. The 2000s, things really blew out of control. 
Um, the internet came around. You could start ordering steroids online. Message boards, steroid message boards started coming along. And things started changing. And um, you started seeing underdose steroids, too, in the, in the 2000s because there was a lot of underground labs popping up. So a lot of guys had to run you know, three, four grams of steroids instead of one or two grams of steroids, these professionals to get the same results. So start us off and, and talk about um, a cycle from the 2000s that he could have ran, you know, let's speculate a little bit. Right. So earlier in the podcast, and Steve and I talked about this in the pre-show, I, I touched on the the uh, what I felt was the Milos Sarsif dave Palumbo connection when it came to depletion and something that we saw uh, him doing with Rami in those uh, pre-Olympia videos from last year. So, uh, and what I specifically was referring to then was the insulin protocol, where essentially what the guys were doing was they're mucking around and you have to be very careful when you do this, guys. And if you're going to do this kind of thing, make sure you've got this on point with your backup, your, your ancillaries, et cetera, ready in case you have, uh, you know, insulin issues. But what I was specifically thinking of was, was the growth hormone and we talk about 15 IUs a day here. Now, that's a, for an average guy, that would be a bit too much. But for a professional bodybuilder who's trying to get the Mr. Olympia shape, who wants a thin skin, it's it's about right for a short period of time for a top professional like Dennis. And the 12 IUs per day eventually, and of course, this will probably be spread over the meals. And what I was getting at earlier on was with the giant set protocol and the way that they trained deliberately to remove the glycogen and, and, and deplete themselves as much as possible to have the greatest effect when the insulin's taken, when the carbs were put back in. Uh, specifically pre-competition, and I'm talking about guys, the last one to two weeks, it's a very fine balancing act in terms of you load in the last one to two days before a competition. And I'm not going to get into it because it's not really my fault. Eh? Anyway, the whole competition protocol, and specifically those last two weeks, but... This stuff would again be run weeks out and it might manipulate again. There might be some direct use again thrown in there to completely deplete, then completely load to give that full look. And as I say, the biggest mistake I suspect he was making for himself, but maybe not with the athletes he's worked with since, and again, Rami, is that he was able to deplete early and then he would look full to you, the euphemism, full as fuck a few days before the competition. And they never quite had that oomph degree of pop that he needed or appeared to have a few days before on stage. Guys, it's all well and good looking like you're going to win the Mystery Olympia week out, but you don't need to look like a week out. You need to look like that when the judges are looking at you. So it's real, real difficult balancing act. And if a professional bodybuilder like Dennis is just missing that particular thing, maybe his own body didn't quite respond as well to this protocol as I say, perhaps then the Rami with his genetics did. So yes, Steve, 15 IUs a day of human growth hormone is not excessive at his level. 12 IUs a day of insulin, almost certainly around the time of the meals, and of course, following that depletion style training. Uh, I believe from the videos, he was training twice a day in those last couple of weeks again. So again, you're, de you're depleting yourself deliberately twice a day, you're loading the food in twice a day. I'll, I'll touch on training and I'll let you do the rest of the rest. Trend is, of course, as we know, if you're not taking trend as a top-level professional bodybuilder, I'd be incredibly surprised. It is something, guys, now we're talking about acetate here at 1,200 milligrams a week. Guys, many, many, many of you that listen to this podcast, I'm going to say 90-plus percent of you that listen to this podcast will sweat, you'll moan and you'll bitch about the whole trend side of things. 
10% uh, uh, of you will cope with it. Those of you that cope with it will say it's the, it's the mutts nuts. It's the golden steroid that's made you look like a bodybuilder. So a professional bodybuilder not having this in their cycle would be incredibly surprising. So for us to suppose that Dennis was using trend, it's an easy supposition to make. Absolutely no problems at all. 1,200 milligrams a week. Again, guys, if you're not a professional bodybuilder, if you're not win, trying to win the mystery, if you're not in the top 10 in the world with the genetics that come with being able to accommodate this, this will be way, way, way too much for, again, 90% of our listeners. But for someone with his genetics, his ability to cope, knowing it's only going to be for the last couple of weeks, knowing that he, he wants to win, he wants to place, this is something that's worth rolling the dice over, Steve. Uh, so, yeah, horrible side effects as usual. doesn't matter what kind of trend you're taking. Night sweats, trend coughs, just feeling grumpy. You've, you've talked about, you know, how great it was as a drug, but it didn't make you feel good. It wasn't one of those things where you wake up and go, I feel full of testosterone I can take on the world. I feel full of trend. I'm smashing a granny out in the gym, but I feel... Yeah, you like just feel uh, just... Yeah. It's like you're thirsty all day. You can't... Yeah. Your body's like hot. Just, yeah. yeah. And you just feel fatigued on it and, and everything. Yeah. So it's kind of a shitty steroid. Especially like you feel like shit million. on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially at a high, at the, those is the, oh, they guns. start running at. But yeah. definitely it was chemical warfare because once Trenbolone came along, it started changing bodybuilding oh, yeah. throughout throughout the 90s and then by Freaks. the 2000s. Yeah, you had to Freaks, you had to use it to keep up with your peers. So no more DECA. Uh, there's no DECA in this cycle. It seemed like guys started to get away from DECA during the 90s because the advantage of DECA before was it didn't aromatize. So you could run the DECA and you wouldn't have to worry about getting gynecomastia and those types of things. But by now they had, they had AIs, they had estrogen blockers by the 2000s. So DECA is just too fucking mild. So throw out the DECA and add trend instead testosterone propionate over a gram a week i mean it's crazy but that's what they did i mean because you could run a lot of testosterone you didn't have to worry about the estrogen in the 80s and the 70s especially you took a thousand milligrams a week of propionate you were a moron no one did that um so again take out the deca and add testosterone that's exactly what they did masteron mandatory I mean, a lot of Masteron guys because they want to harden up and then Winstrol to dry out 150 milligrams a day, a lot of Winstrol. That's why you see bodybuilders bald. It's from all that damn Winstrol and trend that they, they've been taking. So um, it just d destroys your hair, you know? Guys, I'm old enough to remember Dennis with hair. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you don't have to look up Dennis to assume that he's probably bald. If, if he's following <laughs> this type of cycle, obviously, you know, he's going to be bald. So what you do in his situation, if you go on his Instagram and look, there's a lot of pictures where he has uh, hats. And uh, that's that's why uh, they wear different types of cool hats. And and it makes you uh, <laughs> that's the strategy to combat the hair issue. I don't know if you have to you have to do that anyway in Britain because of your uh, the weather out there, it's cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The so, three days that we get some decent weather. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what did I miss out? What I mean, there's some other things they could have ran. DMP is something they could have uh, used. Uh, DMP was popular. Combutrol was was popular. Definitely popular in the 2000s. They could have used that as well. So, you know, yeah, add those. And then, of course, yeah, the diuretic, anything to before the competition. So, 
Um, you know, and yeah, yeah Steve, Steve, Steve talks about the uh, uh, the phrase which was at and facts was actually used. I think Paul Borison used a chemical warfare as one of the books that he wrote. Guys, and that's around from the same time. As I said earlier on, if he was doing, as we know that he was, the Grand Prix tours, Steve, this stuff would have been, well, it would be just difficult sometimes to have this stuff accessible from one country to the next. And as I said earlier on, they were doing up to 10 competitions in 10 weeks. I think sometimes 10 competitions in eight weeks, so more than one a week on a couple of occasions. And we know from that time with uh, Benazisa passing uh, away as a result, um, I'm trying to think of the other, um, Munzer passing away, uh, both of those from diuretic use. I know there was other issues also on the table. Uh, Munzer's uh, claimed cycle was up there with Dallas McCarver's and sheer volume for drugs and whatever else. So some of this stuff, they would go on tour, they would get to a country and, and, and the host and people that they were going to meet when they got there were sorting them out, these kind of drugs. And, and you are talking about doses up and down, specifically the master one that Steve mentioned earlier on, as a hardener, as a polisher, trying to stay in shape. But we would see the best bodybuilders, Steve, would start on the tour kind of shitty looking, post Olympia, binge food, whatever else, and then get better and better as the tour went on. And of course, what that was happening is that the, the water retaining drugs were completely gone. The, they were hungry all the time by the end of the tour because they're not getting perfect food. And it wasn't always able to sit down and have those beautiful six, seven, eight meals a day that they're supposed to be having. And, and the guys that traveled well, it didn't stress on the airplane journeys when they were going from one country to the next. They were the ones that were starting to get the polishing. And of course, what you're looking at is often the case is the guys were getting lighter. They would start the tour at 200, let's say for argument, say 260 pounds and end the tour at 240 pounds. But you start the tour kind of bloated and end the tour hard as a rock. So when we talk about this stuff, this is literally for a competition. This would be, in our opinion, his approach, say, for example, for an Ironman or an Olympia competition. But what I was, I'm getting at here is try and do this, Steve, when you've got that shape, the Mr. Olympia, the Ironman, whatever shape, and then you've done another six shows in six weeks or eight shows in six weeks or even 10 shows in eight weeks. The idea of taking these drugs trying to get hold of these drugs, still trying to train. And tra I hate traveling. The day that they do a beam me up, Scotty, and put me down somewhere, that would be a dream come true. I'm quite happy when I get there. It's the bit in between as a bodybuilder with water retention on an airplane, all that kind of stuff. When Steve says chemical warfare, he's not joking. So, of course, the guys were experimenting then and, and taking risks to do these tours not often paid as much money as they should have been, sometimes contractually obliged, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes they'd signed an agreement with, with the promoters and so on and so forth, and off they went. I'm thinking, and we were joking earlier on, Ronnie Coleman with hair now. So he's one of those genetic freaks where obviously these things didn't have an effect, but Sean Ray had hair at the beginning of his competition stuff and, and ended up with a, a shaved head as he does now. And I believe Flex, Flex Wheeler was out there, and Chris Cormier. So there's a bunch of guys out there. Some have a little bit of hair left. But yeah, th again, this is a long-term effect here, guys. When it, it, I can't imagine how stressful this would be competing with that level of frequency, trying to get hold of these drugs, 
trying to maintain that polish, trying to maintain the condition. From my own personal experience, and I'm thinking of a buddy of mine, I shall mention him by name because he's a good cool guy called Dean Bolt. And Dean was trying to make it, he's a Welsh lad, big, strong fella, 250 kilos, so 550 pound bench press, does a lot of arm wrestling there. And I was doing a European grip championships and Dean turns up with one eye completely bloodshot and the other eye kind of half bloodshot. And I think he'd had a bunch of strains on his body or whatever else. And I said, you know, didn't know that he was competing in this competition. What the hell, Dean, et cetera, et cetera. And he's done 11 competitions in 11 weeks, Dean. And the, 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 the thrashing he'd given his body, I mean, I beat him in that competition and he outweighed, he was probably 300 plus pounds then when wow. I probably was only 240, and he's shorter than me. So he was incredibly, incredibly strong, but you cannot perform at a peak level. I don't care how many drakes you're taking. If you do this 11 competitions in 11 weeks, or as I said with the with the uh, Grand Prix tours, they don't do that kind of stuff now. The most you'll get is a guy will do something at the Olympia, and then I think a few of the guys have flown off and done some competition for the bigger Australian promoter, and the 21 hours of flying kind of fucks them up. It's incredibly difficult. You want to be there three, four days ahead of time. Rami, and you mentioned Hadi earlier on, with this, uh, the difficulty they had even getting to the States. Hadi, of course, came at the very, very last minute, literally, I believe, Wednesday for a competition that's going to take the, the, the pre-judging's on the Friday and the night show's on the Saturday. And he arrived in the US on a Wednesday. Imagine competing that often. Chemical warfare, that barely begins to scratch the surface of what these guys need to do. And diuretics is probably number one, just to maintain anything resemblance of shape. So guys, this is the one time that a bodybuilder is going to earn his crust if he's doing this kind of stuff. And it's the one time he's probably rolling the dice more, even if his PED use is kind of sensible, because he's on, he's peaking, and then he stays on. And he can try trying to keep that peak going. It's almost impossible to do. And as I said, the best bodybuilders, and Ronnie Coleman kind of learned his, uh, how to become a Mr. Olympia doing, doing the Grand Prix stuff, the legendary story of Kevin Leverone with the vodka and coffee shots and all this kind of stuff and, and learning how to become better and better and better and drawing it and getting into shape. And more than that, when all the other guys that beat you at the beginning of the tour starting to fade. So yeah, chemical warfare guys, barely describes what these guys were doing. And this is probably where some of the more dangerous and risky tricks came in. And it's probably where some of the more dangerous and crazy behavior that we've seen, even with lack, without the frequency, some of the habits that were picked up there, some of the stuff these guys were doing, that's what they're doing now. And that's why we see some of these risks, I suspect. And again, maybe that's what Dennis is hinting at. Maybe it's one of those things when he decides, fuck it, I'm gonna tell you guys exactly what the score is. We were here 100% some of the stuff that he's heard and hear 100% some of the things that guys have done, which is absolutely crazy. Rumours abound, Steve, you and I hear some of these things from time to time, but it's one of, I'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth. Someone who's been there, senior and done it. Dennis is probably one of those guys, it'd be nice for him to sit down, you know, I'm going to retire from the sport, you guys. Please, Dennis, write a book. Write that book and tell us exactly some of the craziness that was going on and some of the things that people were trying to do and risk and whatever else. Perversely, Steve, such as it is, this is how we learn our trade. This is how we learn what works. This is how we learn what's dangerous and what not to recommend. So we kind of need some crazy suicidal 300 mile an hour motorbike racing fool to teach us this stupid stuff so that we can turn around and say, right, we know that stuff's crazy. You shouldn't do that. 
you don't have that genetics, you're risking your, 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 your health. And we know that because of this guy, and we know that because of that guy. We know that applesauce and diuretics and a Grand Prix tour is not the greatest thing for Munster or Bennett Caesar. So those guys out there did the crazy stuff. We know, we, we found out afterwards what they were doing. We, we knew the risk they were taking after the fact. And we know that perhaps that's not necessarily for everyone. Um, it's, it's, there is always going to be guys out there that are willing to take whatever in order to achieve this thing that they're aspiring to. And it's us that kind of, for the 90%, like I said earlier on, where we say to guys, right, gain five pounds, run this drug at 300 milligrams, take the long approach. And look, Dennis is a great example of that. He's a guy that still looks pretty damn hench at 250 at his height, at his age, and is still handing at great advice and together with other people, producing a Mr. Olympia. I think he's going to produce a Mr. Olympia again this year, working with the other gurus and the dietitians and, and, and advisors, etc. So if, if the photographs we've seen of Rami or anything to go by, uh, please, Dennis, get Rami to come and live in your house again for another three weeks previous to Olympia, because I want to see what you're going to bring with that monster to the stage. And uh, yeah, again, guys, healthy. I have not heard a single rumour about Dennis having any problems. Maybe we will at some point. I haven't heard nothing yet. And we're talking about a guy that's been involved in the sport for 30 plus years, competing for 20 years. And it looks pretty damn good on it now, Steve. If only the rest of us could do the same thing and be as involved, which we are in our own way, as what he is in his way. Back to you. All right, guys. So 153, Dennis James. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll have a next one update up next. Uh, do you want to give a little preview of what we're doing next? I'm sorry. Maybe I could just sum it up this way. He was a murderer. <laughs> I can I, I sum so that much, up. So much filth and disgusting dirt, man. Where do we start? So, guys, yeah, next one. So, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, It's going to be like watching a Dateline uh, episode. Actually, he was, I think, on Dateline, this guy. So, yeah, (laughs) take us into the um, uh, uh, disclaimer, Mobster. We'll talk to you guys next week. And if you guys want to get in touch with us, uh, check out the show notes. I'm on the forum, Steve SMI. Check out Mobster, also on the forums. Mobster is his name on Evo. And he also has... Coached by Mobster on Instagram, guys. So yep. there you go. Hit, hit him up on, on Instagram as well, guys. Mobster is there. I'm a weirdo. I don't have social media, but I am on Evo every day. I have no life. I'm on Evo like 24-7. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Evo. I'm as bad as what you are. You're just worse. <laughs> <laughs> Admin as well as everything else, man. Right, guys. As always, please note we are not doctors. And the opinions that we give on these podcasts are hours and hours alone. It's our view, and it's based on our experience and views on the topic from 20 and 30 years of experience. Our podcasts are for informational and entertainment purposes only, and there's freedom of speech and the First Amendment. (laughs) 